This is Pill Eater. Today is July 31st, 2023. I'm joined here with Carchell Payne. And today's guest we have on is Jaff Young. Hello. Hello. Yeah, just uh, start off by saying, um, how did you get involved in politics as a young man? Like, were you inspired by your parents or, you know, growing up in the 60s, did that inspire you? Uh, well, all of the above. Um, I think uh, I didn't really know anything about foreign policy or politics until my junior year in high school when I read a couple of books by Noam Chomsky about the war in Vietnam. So uh, I was able to get into MIT and took two political science courses from him in uh, 1976. And ever since then, I've been an anti-war activist. Uh, uh, I didn't start running for office until 2012 here in uh, Kentucky. I, I was born and grew up in Massachusetts, went, went to MIT and also UMass Amherst, and then moved to Kentucky uh, in 1982 and been here in Lexington, Kentucky ever since. So I didn't start running for office until 2012 um, when I ran for the Kentucky State House of Representatives. And then ever since then, I've been running for the US House of Representatives uh, every two years. And I won a primary actually for the first time ever, a Democratic primary in uh, 2020, uh, wait a minute, 2022, last year, won my first primary ever. Didn't win the uh, general election, or I would probably be in Washington now. <laughs> I mean, yeah, you know, Kentucky has like a unique political history. Like, I think back in the day, it had like a, a strong tradition of populist Democrats, but you know, right now it's like a fairly red state. Yeah, it's purple in terms of number of registered Democrats and registered Republicans. But uh, the General Assembly, the Kentucky House and Kentucky Senate are totally dominated by Republicans. Our congressional delegation, we've got Rand Paul, and Mitch McConnell, the senators. We have uh, five Republicans and one Democrat in Louisville in the US House. So it votes very red. I mean, yeah, I mean, it must be hard to be in a state where, you know, like it's ruled by like basically one political party. It's ruled by both. Um, the, uh, so every time I've tried to run, um, the Democratic Party has rigged it, rigged the primary against me illegally. There's a, there's a Kentucky statute that says in layman's terms, any party that has primaries may not rig them. 
so they rigged them all. In 2020, I ran in the Republican primary because they were, you know, the Democrats were totally corrupt. And I discovered that uh, the Republican Party of Kentucky rigs their primaries too. They're equally corrupt, 100% corrupt, both parties. I mean, yeah, you know, like, you know, it's, it's tough to run in a two-party system. Like the, the stack, I mean, the decks are stacked against you if you're an independent and you try to run. I mean, Ross Perot found it out in the 90s. Yeah, that's right. So it's totally rigged against third parties too. I mean, yeah, I mean, see this, I mean, for example, you know, to get on like stage, they say you have to reach like the 15% threshold. And, you know. Well, a, yes, it, unless you want to gather thousands of petitions every time you run. And that's really hard. <laughs> so, you know, and, and the the number of petitions you have to get the signatures is is just ridiculous. As a Democrat or a Republican, you have to get two signatures plus your own. They have to be notarized uh, to run for like governor of Kentucky or any statewide office, secretary of state, um, attorney general. You need 5,000. But they don't have to be notarized. I mean, yeah, you know, like. And the Democratic and Republican candidates, they don't have to reach the 15 percent. Like I remember back in 2016, you know, you had Martin O'Malley try to run. It's like nobody outside of Baltimore even knows who he is. He didn't even he got only one percent, yet he can go on stage and Jill Stein has to worry he's 15 percent. Right. Yeah. So that's Kentucky politics. Uh what uh, what would you like to talk about in terms of uh, other issues? Oh, yeah. What do you think about what's currently going on in Ukraine? You know, that's been a thing since like last year. The war is still going on. Yeah, February of 2022. Um, that's when the war heated up. Actually, it started, I would say, back in 2014 when the U.S., uh, Victoria Newland, State Department, CIA, um, conducted an illegal coup and overthrew the elected president, who was kind of neutral between Russia and the EU. Ever since 2014, uh, Ukraine has not been a democracy at all. It's been uh, totally under the control of the U.S. State Department, CIA, Pentagon, NATO, and groups of Ukrainian Nazis who have spent the last nine years physically attacking uh, ethnic Russians in the Donbass. So this war didn't start in February 2022, but... Um, when it did uh, heat up last year, um, I realized very quickly that the Ukrainians had no chance. Even when the, uh, the, the Russian 
troops in Ukraine were completely outnumbered. They were still destroying the Ukrainian army. And uh, so I think it's just a matter of weeks before um, Ukraine won't have any army left. When that happens, um, then it's completely up to Russia what, uh, what will occur in that country. Yeah, when you ran against Andy Bashir, what was your what was your platform? You know, okay, it was focused more on Kentucky issues than foreign policy. Um, I ran on uh, uh, mainly uh, this year, earlier this year, on the issue of his uh, very poor response to the COVID-19 crisis or, or incident or, or whatever you want to call it, a COVID-19 phenomenon, let's call it that. Uh, he uh, instantly fell in line with Dr. Fauci and the federal uh, public health agencies and believed everything that they were saying uh, and, you know, promoted vaccination. Bashir is a Democrat. Um, and, and so starting in, let me think now, he, he took office in January 2020. Uh, and that's when everything started to happen. He just believed it all. And my position was I wouldn't have believed a word Fauci was saying. I'm very suspicious of federal government leaders or officials. Uh, I don't believe anything until I've checked it out with reliable sources. So uh, I never got jabbed uh, because I didn't, uh, I was seeing all kinds of articles in the, uh, you know, online. Uh, not in the mainstream media, but alternative media saying that this is not safe, it's it's not effective, natural immunity is better, there are um, ways to treat uh, COVID or the flu or whatever it was, um, you know, using uh, ivermectin and uh, other, you know, vitamins, certain vitamins, um, and so when I got a uh, positive test result for COVID um, about a year ago, uh, I, I, I used uh, ivermectin and vitamin D and zinc, vitamin E, and, uh, you know, completely recovered um, in, in a week. <laughs> My wife, who had been vaccinated um, also recovered in about a week. So I was very critical of, of our uh, terrible response. We had big lockdowns. We had, you know, schools closed for months and none of it was necessary. I would have done what Sweden did uh, if I had been governor. And I ran for governor in 2019 against Andy Bashir. 
and uh, two other Democrats in the primary. They rigged it against me. And uh, so he became governor. Oh, he, he beat the Republican in the general election. And uh, I would have acted totally differently than than he did. I, I would have um, I would have demanded real evidence that these things were safe. Without real evidence, I would have asked the uh, Republican-dominated Kentucky General Assembly to uh, to ban uh, COVID-19 jabs in Kentucky. And they would have said, sure, we'll ban them. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this, yeah, COVID was a weird thing that happened, you know, like. Uh-huh. Um, my other issue was um, uh, getting a state bank, like North Dakota has a has a, a state bank that offers loans on good terms to, uh, you know, for student loans and mainly for small businesses, helping uh, helping finance small business uh, expansions or whatever. And it, they've had it for more than a hundred years. It's worked very well. So I would try to create a uh, Kentucky State Bank. Uh, also tax reform with our Republican legislature. They keep uh, increasing taxes on the poor, increasing the sales tax and, and cutting taxes on the super rich. So I would just, I would try to reverse that. Uh, probably the only way to reverse it would have been to uh, start working with the Kentucky Democratic Party to find good candidates and and defeat all these Republicans in the uh, in Frankfurt. Wow, I mean, this I mean that's amazing. You know, like yeah, North Dakota does have a state bank, like. Uh, you know the thing about North Dakota that in the past it was very progressive. Now you know you got all these corporate politicians there. Mm. You know they just sell out to the biggest bidder. You know to the coal right. companies and to the uh, oil companies. Yeah, and, fracking, very oh. big. Yeah. Oh yeah. You know, in, in the I don't know what's happened to the Republican Party, but. They don't, they, I don't know, maybe they read too much Ayn Rand, but they just want to destroy yeah. everything and, and they think selfishness is a virtue or something silly like that. Yeah, I don't think the Republican Party has changed very much, except, you know, to get more intensified on, on the way they always were. I think it's the Democratic Party that has changed uh, radically for the worse. Uh, since I guess um, Bill Clinton, nineteen ninety-two, um, I think that marked the big shift in the Democratic Party became uh, as right-wing, as imperialistic on foreign policies as the Republican Party has always been, or you know, in my lifetime. Um, uh, Democrats were always pro-war, but um, if there was going to be a peace movement, it would have come from the Democratic Party. 
in like the 60s, the 70s. Uh, but they've, they've gotten much worse. 2016, I think, was a, a turning point where they just became pro-war, flat out pro-war uh, with the Russiagate conspiracy theory, which I think was basically a, you know, false propaganda. Russia had nothing to do with our elections ever. Uh, I can name, you know, five or 10 different entities that had much more meddling in our presidential elections than Russia. Russia had virtually none. Uh, so that was all a lie. And the Democrats just bought it. And, uh, you know, that became their only issue for several years. So uh, so both parties now are are, are just really dangerous and destructive yeah and we got like i mean you know the election is coming up and we got like two old people who are almost in their 80s running and it's like you think we you think in america we'd be able to find some young person with fresh new ideas we got like two dudes two old boomers almost uh -huh. 80 years old yeah it's like is this seriously the best we can do like two old guys well, worse than being old. I mean, all right, so Trump still has his mental faculties, such as they were. Um, Biden doesn't even have a functioning brain. Uh, but the, the problem is not their age, in my opinion. It's, uh, it's that they're both war criminals, they're both imperialists, neocons. They're identical on, on war and peace. Trump now running again, uh, in 2024, he's you know, trying to sound like a peacenik and a reformer. He's going to drain the swamp again. Uh, <laughs> uh, that message is politically very astute and very effective, powerful message. I, so if, if the election were, you know, next week and it was Trump versus Biden and um, Cornell West as the Green, I think Trump would win in a landslide. I think Trump would wipe Biden out because he says things that more people can relate to. The Democrats have gotten incredibly tone deaf over the, you know, since 2016, what's that, seven years. You know, it doesn't really matter how old they are <laughs> if, if they're good people. But but Trump and Biden are both war criminals. Should yeah, be in prison about, right now. Yeah, and the thing about Trump is that he is very inconsistent. Like yeah. he can be easily influenced. Like one minute he wants to blow up everything, the next minute he he's talking like Bernie Sanders. It's obvious that he doesn't have like a core ideology. Right. He just goes with the wind. Right. It goes what 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 with whatever he thinks will help his image. I mean, that's not surprising. I mean, he, I mean, you know, like Richard Nixon was his mentor. So, you know, Nixon was kind of the same way. Nixon, I think. Well, uh, all right. So I'm going to quote my former professor, uh, Noam Chomsky, uh, who, who calls Nixon our last liberal president. Oh, yeah. Uh, the EPA, once. US EPA, Environmental Protection Agency, was established with his approval 
during his term. I think it was 1972 um, or maybe 73, I forget. Uh, so he, he was like, he was the last president who wasn't um, right wing. He uh, he made uh, peace with uh, with the People's Republic of China. He you know he established diplomatic relations. Um, I don't know if I would go as far as Chomsky did and call him the last liberal president, but um, he was the last one who uh, actually um, cared about issues. I don't know. I guess maybe uh, that's not true. That. Is the last one who was willing to uh, make make think make anything change. Since Nixon, I think it's been very hard to change anything about this country, legislatively or from the White House. Oh yeah, you know Reagan made it worse. Yeah, yeah, they all made it worse. We're in a we're in a very deep hole. And, and we seem to uh, not be able to stop digging. But this year, next year, I really support RFK Jr. for president. I really hope he uh, beats Biden in the primaries. If Biden hasn't resigned already before that. And um, uh, I think he's the only Democrat who can possibly beat Trump in 2024. That's true, you know, like, and, you know, I mean, Bernie Sanders isn't going to run again. He's like, I hope not. <laughs> that would be, uh, he, he, yeah, he would just humiliate himself. He, he wouldn't get much support. I, I don't know. He got a lot of support in 20, 2016. Yes. In I supported him then. <laughs> But uh, uh, he blew it. He caved in to uh, to the establishment, to the DNC, to the donors. Yeah, yeah he just didn't have what it took. He caved in twice. Yeah, that, that's kind of true. Yeah. It, you know, in my opinion, I think Jimmy Carter was the last liberal president because... Okay. Yeah, I see sort that, of go with that. Jimmy was willing to do stuff that, like, drug legalization and stuff like that. Like that okay. was actually talked about during his administration. Yeah. All right, Jimmy Carter. Then I'll go with that. Unfortunately, he uh, he also allowed war crimes to take place uh, all over the world. So. He was not so good on foreign policy, but he tried, you know, at least he tried. He tried to do uh, negotiations, uh, settle the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. I give him some credit. Oh, yeah. You know, that reminds me, Reagan actually, you know, messed with the peace talks in Iran because he wanted he, he wanted to negotiate with the Iranians. So he he said when he would get elected, he would negotiate with them. He did that. Okay, yeah, I think you're talking about George Bush Sr., Vice President George Herbert Walker Bush, um, October Surprise. 
So what year would that have been? Um, when did Reagan come in? 1980? Yeah. 1981 is when he was elected. Yeah, yeah. Elected in 1980. Uh, so, uh, so his vice president was uh, used to be head of the CIA. And I agree. I think there's, there's some pretty good case can be made that he, uh, that George Herbert Walker Bush delayed the release of the uh, hostages in the Iranian embassy uh, until after the election. Or yeah, after after uh, Reagan took the oath of office, the Iranians released the hostages that same day. Uh, Pilar, do you want to ask any questions for Mr. Jeff Young? Yeah. Um, what was Noam Chomsky like as your professor? And do you think his philosophy or opinions have changed since then or remain the same? Well, uh, I was kind of in awe most, most, most days I went. Uh, uh, it was like hearing a, a, a public lecture almost. Um, uh Every every class period, uh, so it was very impressive. Um, he was he often said, "Don't take my word for it. Uh, check it out yourself, and make your own judgments about what is true or false." Um, so he didn't he didn't act in an arrogant or know it all manner. He said, well, you know, um, uh, he also said uh, a teacher is effective when when uh, is is surpassed by his students. So if, if they take whatever the professor is saying and move it forward, uh, develop it more, um, in his view, that was that, that was what a good teacher should aim for. Um, and your second question, second part of that was, what uh, has he has his? Oh, has he changed? No, no, I don't think he has. I mean, there, there are a few issues uh, uh, where I've disagreed with him over the decades. Um, even today, uh, he, he was un, he's unwilling to say that uh, Russia's special military operation in Ukraine, you know, starting in February 2022, was legal and moral, according to the UN Charter. He, he hasn't reached the point of saying that, whereas I have, because I studied it in 2022. Um, but uh, he's really sharp still. I, I saw an interview of him um, taken a couple months ago, and and he was just right on target. He's ninety three now. Um, talks slower <laughs> than he used to, but uh, he, he he's still phenomenal. Wow, that's interesting. You know, I've always 
wanted to meet Noam Chomsky. You know, I, th I think he's like an anarcho, what is it, syndicalist or something? Maybe, but he doesn't dwell on that. Um, it's like it's like being utopian, or it's being it's like um, yeah, anarchists. We're so far from it today. Uh, governments, nation states, are still so entrenched that it's not even worth talking about. Uh, so, you know, what what might society be like 200 years from now, right? So <clears throat> whether he's a, a whatever kind of anarchist he might be, I, I think he admires the, um, the Kurds, uh, some of the Kurdish communities in um, Iraq, Syria. Uh, I think it's called yeah Ro, Rojava Rojava. Uh, he he's, he admires the, what the Kurds are doing, but um, <laughs> it's it's not really a, a current issue as to you know utopian anarchism anything like that. We are reaching the end of the show. Okay. Um, Young, is there anything else you'd like to plug in or talk about in the last five minutes? Um, well, I think I think what's most critical challenge or task facing regular people today, we have to end Western imperialism. And so that would apply to the people of Germany, France, and the United States, Canada, uh, that is the biggest threat to peace, the biggest threat um, of starting a nuclear war. If uh, Western imperialism, well, its its goal is to subjugate or dominate the entire world if they can. And of course, the rest of the world doesn't agree. And so we, we, have to, we have to end the power of the neocons, the military industrial complex, the CIA. Uh, I think that's the most urgent task facing humanity today. Jeff Young, thank you so much for being on. Okay, thanks for having me. And thank you, Cartrell Payne. Thank you.